You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, guys, good morning. I'm delighted you're here. Um, just want to say what a, what a joy and delight Jack and Jess are and, and dear little Hallie, if you're here this morning to support them and cheer them on and you join us for the first time or they're, they're, in, they're in a community that dearly loves them. A number of you, I think, will have words and pictures that you will have for, for them and for Hallie and I'd, I'd encourage you just to, to share them. Don't let them slip or pass. These are key and important moments. And um, I'd say for all of us, but particularly if you join us today, you may not realise we're in, we're in a new venue and I kind of want to say thank you so much to everyone who's made this happen. The, the first week that we were in here a, a few weeks ago was a bit of a wild ride um, because only a handful of people had actually been in here and seen it and so everyone was trying to make things happen without fully knowing what they were doing or how they were going to use it and once you've been in a place for a bit more time you kind of work it out, everything falls into place, we relax a bit, the school relaxes a bit um, but there's, there's, there's new things that we want to do and there's loads of things that we want to do to help foster community that you can't do easily on, on week one. And um, there's a few things that I can see that we want to do that I'm trying not to stretch people or push them too quick, too hard. But as I was reflecting on that, I kind of stumbled across just reading this in, in Leviticus 26, verse 9 says this, I will look favorably upon you making you fertile and multiplying your people. And I will fulfill my covenant with you. You will have such a surplus crop that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. I will live among you and not despise you. I will walk amongst you and I will be your God and you will be my people. And I was pondering that. Another version says this. It says, you will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for new. We're in a season of making room. We have to prepare for what's to come. We have to position ourselves for all that he has for us. We want to be his people. We want him to be our God. A few weeks ago, we had a, a worship night on, on the Thursday night and Oh my goodness, what a night. How precious and how special. I think we had moments that many wouldn't have seen before quite like that where the Father moved among us in new ways. We want him to live among us. We want him to be our God and we want to be his people. We're in this new series that I've launched called Invitation and I'd love to invite you to help make room for the harvest that will come. Somebody welcomed you, somebody served you a drink, somebody helped you through the car park and gave you a huge hello, somebody put a chair out for you, somebody set up the kids' rooms that now the kids are in to have age-appropriate discipleship, somebody invested in the young people. We have to sow where we want to grow. We have to invest in what we want to see happen. And is that sometimes jolly hard work massively? But as I've often reflected on my discipleship journey and my journey of becoming more like Jesus and the journey of me learning to love his church and step into his cause, I've often reflected on it and I've heard many, many, many others say roughly the same thing. That the turning point is often when you say yes to being in. 
not just yes to being in the room, but yes to helping make the room happen. It's serving, 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 and serving. It's rubbing shoulders with other people doing a similar thing and preferring and deferring to others. Jesus teaches us to serve, to wash the feet of others, and as we do, we see the miracles happen. So often we read in the New Testament that the miracles happened whilst people were serving. Jesus did the miracles, but it happened in the hands of the disciples as they were willing to say yes. If you've been here for more than one week, I want to invite you to move from being a guest to being a host. It's such an easy way into relationships and friendships and shared life, but also it's a way to serve the bride of Christ to help facilitate making room for each other, but also for the harvest that is still to come. We're in this season and this series that I've called Invitation. The word invitation by definition is this. It says a written or verbal request, inviting someone to go somewhere or to do something. Today, I want to encourage you and help you consider the invitation to forgiveness. Now, I've got to be honest with you straight from the off. This, this isn't an easy one. You know, in every and any setting in life, we will need to find ways to forgive and to show and to extend forgiveness. It's so much easier to even subconsciously harbor revenge or bitterness. I'm hopefully, if this is going to work, I'm just going to show you a real quick video. Here we go. It gets better. There we go. Thanks, guys. I I just kind of wanted to make a visual point to you this morning that it is so much easier to subconsciously harbor revenge or bitterness. If you throw a stone into a pool or a lake, it creates ripples. There'll be a splash and an impact, and that in itself can be quite big, but the ripples from it can go on for a very long time. If you don't throw the stone, there are no ripples. But imagine if you didn't even pick up the stone in the first place. If you get the ripples, you might feel like in that video, you've got some kind of revenge. You've got some kind of justice or payback. You know, I think the Bible is so clear. Let me just read this to you from Romans 12. It says this. Romans 12 verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Holding unforgiveness will start to conquer you. It's actually you that suffers. 
The challenge is, I think, that even if you pick up the rock, even if you pick up the stone, you're on a pathway to bitterness, to frustration, to anger, to annoyance, and to offence. But they deserve it. I need justice. You know, I often drive down the road, and many of you will have seen this happen. You see some kind soul, some kind person, let somebody in from a side road when they've been queuing to get in, to only see the person that has then been let in, not let someone else in. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? Have you ever done that? We need to realize we've been let in. Matthew 6 verse 14 says this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. See, learning to forgive is of fundamental importance to the father, but it is so, so deeply costly. Jesus absorbed the need for forgiveness. It cost him everything. You see, when you forgive, you absorb the loss or the debt. You bear it yourself. Therefore, forgiveness is incredibly costly. Something very rare happened recently in our home. And um, I'd bought, on our children's request, this little bag of um, mini eggs. And um, for those of you that are new, I just need to confess up front that I, I really do quite like mini eggs. And we're like in that season. It started before Christmas, but we're well now in that season. So anyway, I bought them because they requested it to share with our two children. And when I got home, I kind of just had a, a couple and with it being a very small bag, which somehow the price has gone up, but the size seems to have gone down, I accidentally ate the lot. And um, <laughs> our, our eldest daughter said to me, Daddy, have you eaten all of the mini eggs? And I obviously confessed. And she was like outraged, like, what? I can't actually believe you've done it again. <laughs> and um, our youngest daughter, she's so sweet and lovely. She said, oh, don't, don't worry, Daddy. I know you like them. It's okay. And... Um, I guess the point I want to make is this, that my selfishness cost them both. They were the ones that paid the price. They didn't get any, and yet they were also the, wrong, the ones that were wronged. Learning to forgive is of fundamental importance to the Father, but it is so, so deeply costly. Jesus absorbed the need for forgiveness. It cost him everything. When you forgive, you absorb yourself the loss and the debt and you bear it. Therefore, forgiveness is costly. But we're a grace community. That's what Jesus teaches us to be. I'm not saying that we sweep stuff under the carpet and we don't lovingly respond to bad behavior. But so often we need to realize that we're people that have a plank in our own eye and we ourselves are on a journey of transformation. We're not the finished article, but thanks be to the grace of God that we've been let in because we didn't deserve it. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. It should be love that fuels our hearts, fuels our minds, and fuels our actions. But so often, it isn't. Because if frustration or a lack of justice or being wronged or being trampled on is the thing that causes us to rise up, which is the thing that causes us to start filling the boat with water, 
so that somebody else can't float. But ultimately, I want to say it's us that suffers because we're called to be a grace community and we should be learning the ways of Jesus rather than the ways of our flesh. I try and ensure all that I share has an awareness that, that often in a room like this, there are younger ears in the room. I just want to say that the story I'm, I'm about to tell is probably more of a PG than a U, so I'll try and do it sensitively, but just a quick flag for some of you in case that's helpful. But there was this guy called Lawrence Payne, and Lawrence had quite a remarkable impact on the earliest formation of the, the vineyard. They used to call Lawrence Gunner. And Gunnar is actually the guy that led John and Carol Wimber, who were the founders of the vineyard movement, to Jesus. And Gunnar was said to be a patient, intelligent, quite gifted teacher. But it wasn't that that drew people towards him. It was his character. For Gunnar, it seemed that nothing seemed to matter other than living for Jesus. And the peace of Jesus ran through the core of his being and who he was. And John, John and Carol Wimber said that it was his living embodiment of laying your life down for Jesus and as an approach and as a way of life that deeply, deeply impacted them. And as they got to know him a bit, John and Carol came to understand some of the background to his strength and maturity. 11 years prior to them meeting him, Gunnar's 16-year-old daughter was murdered by a stranger in an attempt to force her to do something without her consent. And I'm trying to be quite careful about what and how I share that. The trial that ensued dragged on for six months and gained national publicity in the media across America. The guy who murdered Gunnar's daughter under American law in the state that they were in was sentenced to the death penalty. But before he was executed, Gunnar had an opportunity to lead that guy to Jesus. Honestly, I, I, I could stop there because such forgiveness is honestly breathtaking, but I believe only possible because of the power and the grace of God. At that point, Gunnar laid aside his personal life choices and he decided to commit to knocking on every single door of every single home in your blinder in an area and a county of California to tell every single soul about Jesus. A year before Gunnar met the Wimbers and led them to Jesus, his 20-year-old, 22-year-old son was killed in a car accident. Sorry, he wasn't killed, he was injured in a car accident and suffered such significant injuries that for the rest of his life he would require constant care. The night before his daughter was brutally killed, he prayed to God, Whilst I don't understand, I will not question you, and I choose to trust you. And he prayed the same prayer when his son was injured and has many times since. When John and Carol Wimber met him, they weren't drawn to his Bible knowledge. They were drawn to his deeply formed character that had been forged through suffering and left him solely with nothing but Jesus. I find it personally a deeply challenging story that I've reflected on many times. I only know of forgiveness like that being possible because of the forgiveness that comes through the cross of Jesus. I can't promise you an easy life. I can't promise you a pain-free life. I can't promise you a challenge-free, tension-free life. What I can promise you is that 
the forgiveness of God through his son Jesus is enough and that we can know it, we can receive it and not only that, we can extend it to others and that in the forgiveness that Jesus offers there is the power and that power can transform life and enable you to handle any situation that you face or you come across. You know, in a broken world and living in relationships with others, in a church, we all need and are all in need of forgiveness and the need to show and extend that forgiveness to others. We will often find ourselves on the receiving end of being wronged on this side of eternity. I've often found in a church context that it can be more brutal because sometimes we expect better. We've come to expect that others will have been transformed enough that the need for forgiveness on that level would not be a reality. But we're a grace community that need to give and need to receive forgiveness. People will need grace because of me. People will need grace because of you. People will need grace for my weaknesses and my frailties. So why should I not expect the same need for others? I've often reflected that I can't change others, but I can change myself, and it is the me that I need to work on. It is the you that needs to be worked on. My job is not to pick up the stone in the first place, but to let love be in my heart, love be in my actions, and love be in my mind. Let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians 13, and it says this. If I gave everything I have to the poor, verse 3, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I think we would do well to write down every single sentence of that passage and try and live it out with the mindset and the regard to forgiveness because love is patient and kind. Unforgiveness isn't. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Unforgiveness bears fruit in jealousy. It's being boastful, it's proud, and it's rude. It does not demand its own way, it's not irritable, it keeps no record of being wronged. Unforgiveness keeps every record of every wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And we would do well to be a grace community to learn, that learns to love like that. Acts 2 Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you've yet to be baptized, we have a baptism coming up in a few weeks and would love the privilege of baptizing you. But when we're forgiven, 
we become conduits of the Holy Spirit. If we want the presence of God manifest in our lives, we need to repent of our sins, receive the forgiveness of God made available through Jesus and then learn to let that run through us to others. Acts 4 verse 32, all of the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified personally to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because all the, the who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. That's what it looks like and feels like to be a grace community. That's the people that we want to be. Chapter 6, verse 1 in Acts says this. It goes on. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Hey, hey, when things grow, when things change, when things include others, when people bring their stuff into the room, when we have needs and we have thoughts and we have wants and we have expectations, we start to see the bubbling of discontent. When the Spirit of God is moving powerfully, we get the clash of the kingdoms and when the kingdoms clash, we get bumps in the road. When the financial pressures and the job pressures and the family pressures and the raising children pressures and the pressures pressures, whatever the pressures is, when it starts to kick in, we get bumps in the road and we bump into each other and we see the flare-up of relational tension because that's a huge part of it and that's how the discontent gets in. I'm on this journey alone. No one was there for me. Nobody understands my needs. I don't fit. I'm not wanted. When all of that starts to kick in and we put it under the microscope and under the microscope goes the smallest thing, the smallest thing starts to become the biggest thing because we're under pressure. And the microscope lands on the little thing that is now a big thing. And the big thing usually starts to manifest itself in something that needs a degree of forgiveness. It's Jesus saves the world through forgiveness. The thing that the culture is always going to grapple with is a lack of forgiveness because it's the way to access the Father, the way that he teaches us to be as a community. We have to learn to be people of the cross, a people of forgiveness if we want to see him walk among us for him to be our God and for us to be his people. Now, forgiveness, I think, is incredibly easy to do until you actually have to do it or you have to forgive someone. But God's grace has this remarkable characteristic of being inexhaustible. The more you give it away, the more that very thing is then multiplied within you. We have to exercise the muscle of forgiveness to grow it and to grow through it. Emotional and psychological hurts can so easily linger, and if we don't deal with them, they become barriers to our growth. 
Some can even lead into forms of sin that cause us to develop these emotional and even physical problems. So you will have pains and you will have damaging experiences because we all do. Some of that is purely as a result of living in a fallen world. Many of your experiences will not have been of your own choice and are outside of your control. There's so many things like inherited diseases and accidents and poverty and all sorts like that. There will also be wounds that will have been inflicted on you by others, parents, family members, friends, even strangers, that have either intentionally or unintentionally wronged us. Then there's also personal sin that will have caused damage. Things like greed and competitiveness and jealousy that can lead to emotional pain. And all of these things can start to limit our freedom and our ability to freely experience the grace of God. You see, the burden of pain drains us. And the negative feelings convert into attitudes and behaviours over time. That if we allow them, start to overtake us and start to inwardly destroy us. When not dealt with, all of these things can start to manifest sometimes in physical pain. Now, before we jump too far, I'm not saying they always do. I just want to say sometimes they can. I think we see that in the Bible. People can have... Dizziness and indigestion and nightmares, all sorts of physical things can take hold as a result of emotional pain. I was chatting with somebody after Course to Live For. Course to Live For is a young adults gathering in the vineyard and there was a conference in November and I was chatting with somebody afterwards who was telling me, and I have full permission to share their story even though they're not in this church, that um, they had a very painful shoulder where they couldn't fully rotate their arm for about seven years and uh, they also had deeply disturbed sleep and uh, they'd had the deeply disturbed sleep equally for about seven years and on the Friday night of this conference there was a moment of consecration among that age group it was really quite powerful seeing people repenting before God and this dear person something came to mind where they decided to forgive their dad for some of the trauma that they'd faced in their life as a result of some of his actions and behaviours over many years previously. And I bumped into them at another vineyard about a week after this conference and they were absolutely buzzing. They were completely healed of the shoulder pain and they were completely healed of the sleep challenge, both of which they'd had for seven years. And they would say, from that moment of forgiveness onwards, You see, in Jesus, we have a new nature. Our emotional reactions and responses are not supposed to be the things that run our lives. It's therefore important to correct dysfunctional attitudes and emotions as a result of past hurts. The healing is not an elimination of painful memories as such, but it's more God's spirit taking away the sting and healing the emotional resulting damage. The Holy Spirit can reframe our memories so that they're no longer significant factors in how we think and act and feel. The hurt starts to recede into the background as the knowledge and the assurance of our identity in Jesus comes to the foreground. Jesus teaches us that unforgiveness 
will cause us all kinds of personal torment on earth. Physical, emotional, social and spiritual. It kind of works as the I've forgiven you, forgive others principle. God has forgiven us and as we extend it, we continue to experience the free flow of forgiveness ourselves. Now, I honestly want to say, I know this is costly. Even the way we go about it can be a big deal. I've had people say to me before, I forgive you. And I've been left thinking, what on earth for? Like, you forgive me for the masses of hurt that you've caused in my life. There's somehow me trying to treat you as healthily as possible has caused you to project your pain onto me to the point that now it's my fault and you're forgiving me. We are so complex, aren't we? I'm not saying by saying that I'm not soft. I'm not saying I don't seek to keep and hold short accounts. I'm not saying that I don't seek to take the plank out of my own eye. But what I am saying is sometimes... Our brokenness is such that people can project their pain to be your problem. There's all kinds of subconscious levels of brokenness that can spill out, and each of us is responsible for our actions and reactions. We receive, though, forgiveness when we extend forgiveness, and we want to be a people that learn to not even pick up the rock in the first place. But it is hard, isn't it? Let me read to you from Matthew 18, verse 21, says this. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of God Sorry, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with a servant who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors who, brought, who was brought in, who owed him millions of dollars, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? Then the king, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until his debt had been paid in its entirety. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. I don't know if you know the context of 
that passage, but in those days it was quite common for a rabbi to encourage people to forgive a brother or sister who had repeated sin up to three times, after which there would be no more forgiveness. So Peter, as one of Jesus' disciples, thinking that he had this really big heart, he asked Jesus how he should forgive his brother or sister, possibly seven times. And Jesus replies, verse 22, 70 times seven. That in what could be labeled an extreme illustration, Jesus tells the story of a man who owed upwards of what in today's money could be considered labeled millions, if not billions of pounds, clearly an amount of money that this servant could never repay to the king. And yet the king, out of sheer compassion for the servant, forgave the entire debt. There's a number of things that I just want to briefly draw out of this parable. In Jesus, we have received extravagant grace. To use the analogy of the debt that the servant owed, there is no price tag that you or I could ever put on our sinfulness before an infinitely holy God. You know, when you and I think, well, I haven't sinned as much as this person or that person, we really have no clue as to the extent of our own sin. Our debt is deep and infinitely deep, but Jesus has paid it all. Out of sheer compassion, the Father sent his Son to endure the wrath that you and I deserve, and now we're free from sin's penalty, free not only as a servant, but as a son and as a daughter. Because we've received extravagant grace in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we now learn to extend extravagant grace to be a grace community. How harsh then for this servant who was forgiven a large fortune to go to a man who owed him a tiny fraction of that amount and put him in prison for his failure to pay. It's outrageous, but also so easy to get caught in failing to see the bigger picture. For us not to forgive is to do exactly the same thing. The Bible is not saying that it's easy to forgive or even that it's natural to forgive. However, it's the Jesus way to forgive. In fact, I don't believe we have another option because we forgive not because we have to, but because in love we're compelled to. Only Jesus can enable this kind of forgiving heart that this passage calls for, the heart that I shared of the story of Gunnar Payne earlier. Gratefully, in this passage, he reminds us of the extravagant compassion that he's shown for us as the least deserving sinners. And by his grace, he enables us to extend that same extravagant compassion to those that we might label as the least deserving. This kind of forgiveness, I believe, should be a characteristic of our lives and therefore of this church because we're a grace community. We're recipients of undeserved grace and therefore extenders of grace. And that takes place through the receiving and the extending of forgiveness. And I want to encourage you to be a people that take steps towards releasing forgiveness and therefore in the process extending the kingdom should we stand together
those of you that are new in the room, we're just going to take a moment just to wait to rest on the Holy Spirit, to invite him to move among us. You may find it helpful to close your eyes as we do that, to remove the distractions of the Spirit of God. We welcome you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.